Welcome to Splunk Talk. Woo! A Splunk podcast that's all Splunk and no junk. I'm your host, Birch, here with co-host Hal. Are you going to be this chipper the entire podcast? <laughs> and in the producer's corner, we do not have Jeremy. Uh, he is fine. Everything's good there. He just had to uh, miss this one. It was liposuction. That's what I'd heard. Yeah. Yeah, it was actually to add fat. <laughs> so this is episode uh, season two, episode seven, and we'll be joined today by our special guest, Nate McCurvey. Um, one thing we want to acknowledge and, and get out of the way right away is that we are recording this in the midst of uh, the COVID-19. Weird times. The what? Weird times. Weird times, that's for sure. And... Um, I know a lot of a lot of people. This is really at the forefront of everything they're hearing and and talking about. And we're we decided, uh, you know what? This is all splunk and no junk, and that topic goes in the junk bucket. So we're going to focus on fun things here and and give ourselves and our listeners an opportunity to uh, really detach and escape from all those shenanigans. I like um, it. Yeah, me gusta. Before we go any further. Uh, with, with that being known, how, how's your month been? <laughs> oh, uh, let's let, let's just, it's been, <laughs> ooh, man, it's been a little rough, but, um, I'm, you know, I, I, I like to learn and I like yep. to do new things. So it, this is kind of a season of that for me. Um, I know, I know, you know, but the listeners might not know the, the, the Splunk calendar, it kind of starts in February, um, so a lot of new projects get started around then. So, you know, I'm doing some new things, getting into uh, some other areas. And so it's, you know, it's, it's exciting time, I guess, uh, at the company as far as that goes. Um, but yeah, it's, um, man, interesting times to, to be sure. Although I, I did look to see like, you, you know, that you, there's a saying that is misquoted to be an ancient Chinese proverb kind of thing. May yeah. you live in interesting times. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's actually not... A Chinese proverb. What so I, I, I don't know. Like I, I read this, there's a page, you know, online talking about it and it's, it's really long and not helpful. <laughs> the short version is no, this was not quoting some sort of, you know, ancient Chinese wisdom at all. But everyone knows of it as the, oh yeah, you know what they say. And you know, may you live in interesting times. I still get it. That's that. So it is definitely a, uh, a way the to saying look at stands it. regardless yeah. of its source. Yes. It's a tongue twister. Yes, it is. So uh, what have you been up to? Well, um, uh, what is to be assumed? Uh, going food shopping and not seeing anything that I can buy. <laughs> uh, a lot of being at home. Um, I actually went for a drive yesterday just mm -hmm. to like get, get out of the house. Out. Yeah. Yep. And yep. be in my self-contained vehicle. <laughs> yep. Um, but even then, you know, you got to be careful because you don't want to, uh, you know, driving's, driving's dangerous. You don't want to, <laughs> don't want to get into any, any dangerous situations. But anyway, again, I want to focus on you the live fun nowhere stuff. near anything defined as the woods. Do you? Uh, I do. I do have some woods, but oh, okay. um, yeah, it's just like the ways to get into said woods are a big drop off. So gotcha. you'd, uh, 
I have to be quite serious about it. I can't just uh, wander in. Okay, now I kind of want to see, like, you know, the the video of, of you trying to do that. You know, I was um, I was actually outside in said woods and uh, was back there cutting some weeds or something that were grown over. And uh, I suddenly saw some movement, like not far from me, mm-hmm. in said woods. And... Um, realized that a deer had been just frozen like very oh literally frozen like a deer frozen in the headlights kind of wait wait no frozen the headlights or like it's winter and and it's it's a nice deer no i held back on my elsa powers okay (laughs) uh the deer the deer was was electing to not move okay okay out of fear of of this the deer was afraid of this. <laughs> for, for those listening, <laughs> we're for talking about the vis- visage of, uh, of Mr. Birch. And, um, and so I admired it and then started walking away when I realized that about twice as far that the deer was to me mm-hmm. was like five more. So mm-hmm. this is the one who was like, don't worry about it. I'm going to go over here. You can all stay together. Uh-oh. <laughs> And, uh, but it was cute. It was, it was cute seeing like six deer yeah. doing their deer thing. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, I live kind of close to the woods. So yeah. deer encounters are kind of frequent actually. Um, but yeah, to, it's, it's, um, it's easier for me to like, I could, I could go see wildlife easier than I could go see people right <laughs> now, you know, right now. Yeah. I, um, so I just realized something. Um, I noticed that the way that this uh, current recording is going, I don't see both of our faces next to each other. And I don't know if it's because it's only two of us right now or if we changed a setting in the recording. So if there is a setting in the recording also, yeah, I believe. But if you want it for yourself, click on the gallery view button in the top right as opposed to speaker view. Okay. Well, I don't want to mess with it right now, but if we perchance um, do end up with a recording where you don't see all of our faces at the same time, uh, acknowledged and sorry about that. And if this works out fine, I didn't say anything. Yeah, that was, (laughs) that was quality podcasting right there. Yes. So we should probably talk about something slightly smuggler related. Yeah. Um, Does that mean you have a, no, <laughs> I'm oh. working on it. I'm working on it. Let's see. So um, one thing that I have been uh, talking to customers about is the new dashboard framework. Mm. Have you played with it yet? Um, I know I have it, but I haven't actually gone hands on with it. And our guest actually has done a lot Ooh, of work with that's it. That's right. That is a good point. So we nice shall have to definitely there. bring yeah. that up. Um, but, uh, any, have you done anything novel or any, any cool breakthrough as of late? At this point, it's, it's more of a exposure, like, you know, help people understand that it's there. What is it for? It says it's beta. Is that safe? Um, so to that end, um, yeah, this is a, so when you open up Splunk web, you log in, uh, you're basically sitting inside of this web framework and it renders all of the 
the views for you, the dashboards yeah. and the panels and, and even the administration uh, stuff <laughs> the like that. dashboards and the panels and the... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so plug. Um, we have multiples of them. There, there were, there have been two, two and a half, two, two or three. And this was, this is another web framework to render the pages differently, basically. And um, so, so you can when switch you it out. Another, I mean, I'll, I'll ask. Well, we had Cherry Pie was the first That's one. Right. And we had the short-lived uh, Django-based one. Yeah. And then I don't know if the new if there's a separate new one that has a separate name or that was merely just a kind of an evolution of Cherry Pie or what, but I don't know yeah, what to I, call the because they they went I in the current one obsoleted advanced XML. Yeah. And enhanced simple XML. That's you know that's one thing. So, but when you install the um, the new beta. Um, app, then it's basically another web framework. You don't have to deal with that behind the scenes, but, but basically it is a self-contained way to, you know, get at those visualization features. Hey, um, that is a face I've not seen in many a time. I was going to say a number of years and um, it's not been that long. Hey man, how's it going, Nate? Going well. How are you? I am doing pretty awesome. I think Nate's soundproofing trumps our setups. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's a work in progress. I'm a little bit jealous. Just slightly jealous. Do you, do you, well, uh, welcome, Nate. Uh, Thank you. As, as mentioned, uh, you're, you're walking, you're walking into the main show here. Uh, we so expected you. So, I mean, it's okay. I'm gonna, yeah. I'm going to ask the most obvious question that everyone is thinking about. So when you put up the soundproofing, do you have to do opposite angles for each one for optimization? That's what I was thinking. Uh, I don't know. Probably. It's not soundproofing. It's sound dampering. And oh, that's right. I found yeah, out wanna... temp temperature fluctuations mess up the mounting, so I have to remount it. You can see gaps. Mm. By the way, that's my favorite Led Zeppelin album. Temperature fluctuations affect the mounting. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite Pink Floyd song? Who's that directed? Mine. What? Yours. So no, I just when you said long title of a you know fictional song in this case, but have you heard of uh, several species of um, several species of animals gathered together in a cave and grooving with a pict, which is the actual name of a Pink Floyd song? Oh wow! So it's my a, you should listen to it sometime. In in a similar thread, my favorite band picked their name. They would change their name for every show when they first started. So every show they would say, hey, what's the band's name that's going to play? And they picked a new name. And then one day they decided to think of the longest name they could think of. And that's the one that they stuck with. And that's how we got the presence of the United States of America. Oh, interesting. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, nice band, actually. Yeah. Do not click on the link that I just pasted in the chat because then it will play the song that I just mentioned and that oh. will probably be slightly disruptive. But yes, you could if you wanted to another time, just for reference. Um, so we'll add it in the show notes. So we should probably introduce people to Nate. Yeah. That probably makes sense. Yeah. So um, Nate, uh, I know you as someone who has had a story career here at Splunk. Um, just off the top of my head, I, I believe you did some time in professional services. You were doing technical marketing. 
You have been on many uh, main stages at Conf, um, and lately you've gone into some very, very cool new projects around uh, blockchain. But I think one thing we always like to do, and I just realized this is sort of a pattern, is um, tell, tell us about your, how you got here. Like what, what is, yeah. were you using Splunk before? What do you do anything interesting out of college that got you to Splunk and then the, the roles you've had? Yeah. Yeah. you never predict your path. Like, um, for me, I was studying physics in college and, uh, college is expensive. And I, and I was also start, so I was, I took a part-time job as a sysadmin, uh, at a company called Harris corporation and uh kind of fell in love with the sysadmin work uh but then realized that <laughs> physics didn't pay well out of college so i thought oh i'll keep going with this computer thing um and so i wasn't I the know. greatest sysadmin <laughs> Yeah. Might be a fad, <laughs> <laughs> the computer thing. Yeah. So I, uh, I needed, I needed, I broke a lot of stuff, and so I had to fix the stuff that I broke. And so I found this thing called Splunk um, back in like 2005, uh, and it helped me fix stuff fast. And it took me a few years more before I started to realize that hey, this isn't just about fixing broken stuff. This is about um, solving security problems and then eventually business problems. And that's when it hit me. Oh my gosh, this data thing is going to be big. I want to go full time in, into data. Um, and so that's why I joined Splunk. I felt like it was uh, the most powerful data machine data analytics thing out there. So I joined Splunk in 2012 uh, cause I had this, this crazy itch to just go do things with data. And uh, I have never had a bigger itch until, uh, <laughs> 2016, um, when I really went deep into blockchain and I recognized that, hey, this technology is going to be as game changing as, as data itself has been across every industry. Yeah. And were you thinking about blockchain? So, I mean, t- 2016, there was ar- there were already many, you know, it, there was there was a lot of definitions. There were a lot of coins, for example. Um, you know, everything wasn't about um, just the the one ever present currency that, that is really where right. a lot of the fads have come from. Um, were you thinking about, you know, blockchain and cryptocurrency before that? Yeah. Did so I collect any or invest yeah. in any, was it something you put that kind of thought into? Not as much as I should have. So um, prior to 26, well, so what happened was I heard this thing called Bitcoin. Some of my friends were talking about it and I thought that's a neat, it's a novelty. It'll never go anywhere. Um, this is uh, early 2010s. Uh, And then a friend of mine told me about this thing coming out called Ethereum in 2014. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. So I set up a node and I was mining on the test net. Um, But I thought the same kind of thing. Oh, this will never go anywhere, but it's really interesting. Um, I didn't mine any on mainnet, uh, unfortunately. And uh, then I just kept seeing smart people go into this. And I kind of understood this is a little bit more than cryptocurrency, but I had this... uh, level of skepticism that this is still hype, a fad, it's mm-hmm. potentially going to zero. And uh, I came to the point in 2016, February of 2016, where I said, I either need to confirm my skepticism or remove it. So uh, I took six weeks off. I had a, had a baby a little while before, and I said, I'm going to spend the six weeks dedicated to like my family and really understanding this blockchain stuff. Your order uh, so, there was the correct answer, my family. Because <laughs> you were on the cusp of getting in yourself in trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I went down the rabbit hole and I just did everything I could from the technical side of things uh, to reading every business 
business book I could. And I came out of the six weeks with the aha, okay, my skepticism's gone. I don't care how much hype goes into the space. I'm dedicating my career to it. Um, Was there a, a single term or a few terms or concepts that you came out that were on top? Because that, that, yeah. that process, I can see how someone thinking about it, because Bitcoin was the meme, right? And it drove a lot of the public-facing thought, the, the, you know, the lay press thought. So mm-hmm. Bitcoin is, gonna, is not going to be on the top of a list, I would think. When I recognized that what blockchain enables is what it does is it closes this trust gap Um, that just changed my perspective on how how the world is going to evolve. Um, We've had a few of these gaps closed in modern history. Uh, The printing press closed the knowledge gap in the 1400s. The steam engine, the the invention of the engine closed the power gap. The uh, telecommunications closed the distance gap. And blockchain closes the trust gap. And it's interesting that n- nobody really recognized these gaps existed until after they solved the problem. Uh, in fact, people thought that their horses were good enough. They thought that they were better than cars uh, mm-hmm. because there wasn't good uh, infrastructure laid yet for cars. So horses could go anywhere, but cars couldn't. And that's kind of where we are with blockchain right now. We're still laying the infrastructure. Same thing with telecommunications. People said, why would I want to sit down and type out an email when I could just pick up the phone and call somebody? Um, but once the infrastructure is laid, the barrier to entry goes lower and the benefits um, just make it uh, the thing you want to use. So, so trust. Go ahead, Birch. Well, um, I, I guess... Uh, normalize everyone's mind. So we've got listeners who who mm-hmm. may really have just heard blockchain and Bitcoin and, and some of the buzzwords. Like, what what's why is it cool? Like, what what does it actually do for you or for anyone? Yeah. Uh, it allows you to share information with parties that you don't necessarily trust and agreed upon and verifiable way without a third party. So this has always required an intermediary or a third party. Um, and the, in, the use cases for information are wide. It can be anything from a store of value, such as like Bitcoin, to a set of contracts that we're going to agree on, um, to healthcare, to insurance, um, and the, the, the use cases are massive. So if, take, for example, I recently moved from San Francisco to Florida. And in that process, I bought a Congratulations, house. that deserves some applause. <laughs> yeah. And the, the, I had to pay, I don't know, a couple thousand dollars for a title search um, mm-hmm. for my house. And it was also a long process. It wasn't instantaneous. And really what they're trying to do is just verify that there isn't someone else that owns this house, this property, or has a lien on it. And this is information that requires third parties and it's, it should just be uh, uh, on a distributed ledger that many parties can connect to and there's no single entity that can control everything. And, and title searches do seem pretty ripe. I mean, they seem a little anachronistic. Um, and, and I've gone through that, that process myself in, in real estate tra- transactions a, a lot. And, and I'm kind of wondering, is this a problem that is that makes sense for to solve in well i mean i, I feel like there's different audiences and different communities and, and even nations and cultures that would have different appetites for solving problems in, in the sense that for me it's it costs money it makes the transaction go a little slower but it's not a big deal but let's mm-hmm. say you know we're talking about a developing nation where it's their problems are going to be a lot different 
So, you know, do you look at these, you know, take, take title search or, or, or contracts, you know, is it a different question that you're answering for different? Yeah. In some countries, this is already a problem that where the um, some governments are coming in and saying, you don't own that property, somebody else does. It's a friend of theirs. And they, they say, no, I do. Here's my piece of paper. And they say that paper doesn't agree with our records and they can just seize the land. Uh, but how would yeah. you institute, you know, uh, how do we trust the 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 contract the smart contract that sits on the blockchain in the first place i mean mm-hmm. you have to have an institution that would agree with that that's binding so, yeah, so this is- let's but let's actually use that example uh to answer the second part of of what i, I think we're still missing which is like walk up walk us through how how a transaction works in a blockchain world and we we can use this kind of the logic of the blockchain yeah like a workflow yeah so first yeah so first of all is all a blockchain is is a ledger it's a ledger like an excel sheet or a paper ledger you might write down on but it has three key attributes it's immutable distributed and decentralized so let's break that down it's immutable which means that you can't change it. Once you write to it, it's on forever. So it's kind of like uh, you have a sheet of paper, all three of us have a sheet of paper and we write down the same transaction happened in permanent ink and marker. So you can't erase it. Um, it's distributed, meaning that all of us have a copy and now there should be many more than three, but it's kind of magical in that whenever somebody writes an update to a transaction, we verify that we both, both parties agree. And then everybody gets a copy of that update. So all of so our now, papers would update. And so that time. means no one can be like, yeah, even though it's written in permanent ink, mine is different. Like, no, everyone right. has a copy. And that's where, and that's where we get to the decentralized, uh, mutable distributed decentralized portion, which means if, uh, if Birch were to go over there and scratch out one of those transactions, um, ever, all of us would say, hey, that's not, we don't agree with that. We've, uh, we've, our copy is different. And so there's various levels of like how many agree and disagree. You've probably heard of like 51% attacks. And based on what consensus model um, you're talking about, there's various pros and cons. But the three attributes, it's immutable, distributed, and decentralized. But take that, take that step back. You might be asking, hey, wait a second. You're talking about a database here where everybody stores a copy of every transaction forever because the, the transaction is actually linked to previous transactions with hashes. And that must be the slowest, <laughs> most expensive database ever. And, and a lot of times it is, it, 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 it can be from the right perspective, from the read perspective, you actually get a lot of benefits from, cause there's lots of copies of the data out there. So you get some prevention of denial of service attacks and so on. Um, but the right perspective, it's very expensive. It can be very expensive. Um, and so that means that it shouldn't be used for all use cases. Most of the time you want a traditional database, not a blockchain. It's when you need this to close this trust gap, um, that's when you should consider using a blockchain. So when when there's a, a new, okay, so you're saying the reads are actually fast because you've got parallelization. You go to any node in the, the database, I yeah. guess. Or in the system. But the, well, how does the write occur? Well, it depends on the blockchain. Oh. So let me, let me ask, you know, kind of in response to it, is there enough standardization in, because, I mean, you have multiple blockchains, multiple protocols, a lot of different concepts. Mm-hmm. Is there enough standardization to get anything done 
Yeah, that's something that way. the community is actively working towards. Um, there's projects like uh, uh, Cosmos that are working on interoperability between blockchains. There are things like uh, Polkadot, which has other things like Substrate. So there's definitely a lot of development going off in interoperability, um, especially since uh, enterprises are somewhat resistant to using public chains or have been. They're actually opening up to it more and more now because they're used to their walled garden approach. We want to put walls around everything. We want everything permissioned and, and private, mm -hmm. but they recognize that they get greater value when connecting it to public infrastructure, something we're seeing over time. And this is similar to how intranets and internet played out early on. Enterprises or, wanted their intranet. Yeah, and then and later they realized they need to connect their individuals to the internet. And also like it reminded me of um, cloud, like a couple of years ago, no one, no one, no company wanted to host anything in the public cloud. And and for you know various reasons, they are now doing that. Mm -hmm. And you had a kind yeah. of a spectrum of of companies that are that are more willing or less willing to put their stuff in the cloud. Um, so, are you seeing similar trends in blockchain? So, like, what yes. types of companies are most interested and most forward looking? Oh uh, well. So what we're seeing is financial services and public sector are investing the, the most right now. Um, yeah. You've got, there's a lot of projects going on with supply chains and healthcare and so on, but across the board, we see a tremendous amount of uh, just in financial services. I mean, last year, enterprise spending, according to Gart Gartner, was $2.7 billion on blockchain. Really? It's like an 80% 80, 80 increase over 2018. Uh, and that's compound annual growth of 60% through 2023. So like, this is this is something that the media portrays as kind of hype and stuff so on but there's money being spent here a lot of it because this is going to disrupt business models in the long long term mm -hmm. in the medium term it's going to be used for increased efficiency and then right now it's being used mostly for security okay so kind of like how the internet you know it led to a lot of change in business models but it, it took a while right yes um taking a, a huge step back uh so what role and I can give you I can give you an example of that how to if you want like how how business models will change. Do it. Oh yeah, and, definitely. Okay, um, so uh, like let's consider. There's this idea that uh, the 2010s were or the 2000s where uh, products were being built, and the 2010s people were building platforms. In the 2020s, people are, are going to build protocols, um, and these protocols will be en enabled through distributed ledger technologies. And so business models are going to be disrupted. So let's consider something um, that's difficult to disrupt, which is which is Amazon. Um, they are great at creating. Uh, you know, Jeff Bezos is famous for the saying, "Your margin is my opportunity." Uh, mm -hmm. So they operate very, very clean. But for uh, S3, they have to procure storage ahead of time before people need it. So they are, they have this capex expenditure where they're spending money to get the storage before people need it. <clears throat> With decentralized storage protocols, such as storage, Filecoin, SIA, you could actually leverage the unused storage that enterprises and individuals already have, and you could distribute data ac across them. So now there's no CapEx cost for distributed storage, and people that already have this storage uh, can actually make revenue off of it. And so that will make it very hard for centralized uh, organizations to, to compete simply because it's hard to beat a margin, that margin. Okay, okay. So now that sounds to me a little bit like BitTorrent in the way mm, that it, it's similar. kind of distributed yeah. uh, content. 
Yeah. Yeah. And so you actually can, and people think I'll oh, store data on other people's servers. This sounds very insecure. Um, and you can actually increase security because you can, you can shard up the data, you can store it in little slices and then reconstitute it so that even if a single server were, were compromised, they can, the data is probably encrypted, but it's also sharded and split up into multiple pieces. So it's not like there's this honeypot, this um, uh, central storage of credit records that somebody can go and hack and get all that data. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm immediately thinking of, of the pros and the cons. And the, the first thing that went, my mind went to as you were describing this on the con side was, um, you know, what, what are people going to be using this for? And, and you know, depending on, I'm sure the, the protocols have different levels of um, uh, discoverability or, or identif- identity. Um, but, you know, are, are people going to use such a protocol to store things they shouldn't be storing? Mm. Well, almost every new technology that's created is used for both good and evil. Um, <laughs> so I believe I believe it was uh, uh, President Taft who said, uh, "With great strength comes great responsibility." No, did I miss wrong person? Not Taft. Yeah. I think that, oh, I that was Michael that Scott. Was... I thought that was Michael Scott. Oh, definitely. I always heard great it was, power. Yeah, comes great responsibility, not, and I, I thought it was Sudo who said that. <laughs> No, no, it was Zulu. <laughs> Thank no, you, that was Zerg. Uncle. All right. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, this can, I mean, this, this enables even individuals to take control of their own data, which hasn't been possible before now. So, so also when I moved, I had to update my address, my system of record, my address where mm-hmm. I live in so many places from credit cards to cell phone to all over the place, bank accounts. Um, and then each one of those institutions has stores the, a copy of my PII data or what, whatever my data and one of their own databases repository, which is obviously can be breached and has happened. <clears throat> Instead, I'd rather be in control of my data. So I rather would have my personal information sharded across many systems that I hold the keys to, and I can grant and revoke access to those. So if my bank needs to know where I live, I can get a little request. Hey, they want to know right now because they're going to send you an email and I can send it to them. But if I no longer have the cellular provider anymore, I don't want them to have any of my information and they can't query it. So let me follow this thread a little bit further. So every website that we have, every service that we interact with, there's usually a concept of a profile and you're filling out some of your data and, you know, financial services, it's a lot, you know, social network, it's a lot, but it's a lot different type of data. Um, but I, I like the idea here. What would have to happen for this to be something that's prevalent? Is there any, are there any technical blockers or is it more of a, in a just your basic adoption story and these things just kind of take time? Because that'd be nice if, if my social security number were not out in the open like it is right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, like I said, it's, it's the, it's the, we're laying the infrastructure right now. Um, we can see that this is feasible from the technology perspective, but we need to scale things and scaling is happening very quickly. Uh, and yeah, we just, and another thing is though, we're going to be able to do things that weren't possible before with this. So not only will you be able to share information, you can share information with the minimal exposure of that information. So using things like zero knowledge proofs. So I can prove to something to you without revealing the underlying information. So for example, uh, you need to know whether or not I'm over 21. Maybe it's to go to 
a, a website or maybe it's to go to a bar. Well, if you go to a bar, the way you verify you're over 21 is you show them your ID, which has your address, it has your weight, it has your height, all these things they don't need to know. Um, maybe another website you need to prove your, uh, your income, but you don't want to have to share your bank account statements and everything, which is how we do it today. Like when I got a mortgage on my house, I had to share all my assets and where I got them from. With zero knowledge proofs, you can prove something is true without revealing the underlying information. And I know you want an example so we can understand that. So uh, imagine I want to prove to you that I'm holding a red card without telling you it's the queen of hearts. Okay. What I'm going to let you do is I'm going to let you look at the deck I'm going to let you count all 52 cards, make sure they're all there. And then I'm going to pull out my card and say, I, I'm going to prove this to you. This is red. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you 20, I'm going to pull out 26 black cards and let you look at all of them from that deck. And so now what you know is, huh, he must have a red card, but I don't know what one it is. Okay. I, I understand the example, but I feel like that's so oversimplified in the sense that that problem space of number of cards is very, narrow so like yeah it's very oversimplified yeah yeah very simplified so i mean wouldn't you, you i guess you'd have to tune that proof computation to i don't know i'm just trying i'm, I'm still kind of wrestling with the concept here because it's a new one to me so okay while i think on that a little bit more i wanted to go back to a project that that you were involved in um over at uh, at the splunk.conf last year in 2019 um can you it's kind like of our most recurring story <laughs> it is but we hadn't had <laughs> Nate to on to yeah. talk about it yet so we're going to talk about it now and we're never um, talking about it again this will be the last time um and then I wanted to hear, you know, like what, what projects are you working on since then? But you know, could you kind of take us through that project of, um, well, go ahead. I don't want to sh- you know, share the name. It's all you, man. <laughs> yeah. So uh, marketing came to us, our blockchain team at Splunk and said, hey, can you create a, a, a cryptocurrency for engagement at, at .conf? And we said, well, we're not in the business of creating cryptocurrencies, but we'll make you a deal. If we can showcase what Splunk's really good at um, in the blockchain space, then we'll do it. And they said, okay, deal. And so what is so we created a, a couple different cryptocurrencies, a fungible and a non-fungible one. I can talk about what that is. And we allow people to- it. <laughs> to engage in different ways. And it was, but we, it, it was pretty neat because we had over 10,000, we had 10,000 attendees and they were all able to use cryptocurrency and blockchain without Sorry, even wait. knowing they were using I'm cryptocurrency still caught and blockchain. Up on, <laughs> un, unfungible and unfungible because I'm pretty sure people have told me that I'm a pretty funge guy. So like, I think this has to do with either Smurfs or mushrooms. You're definitely fungible. non-fungible. <laughs> I actually know a little bit about it, but I'm not going to butcher the term. So I want to hear it from you. Definitely, Nate. Yeah. So fungible means like one is the same as any other. So this dollar bill and this dollar bill, they're all, they're all fungible. One is interchangeable for the other. Like it doesn't matter which one you have. Now, non-fungible is maybe something specific. Like, uh, have you heard of crypto kitties? <laughs> Yeah. No. So you can own a unique one. So you can own a unique crypto cat instead of uh, a, a physical dollar. So like there's these things called any piece of Ethereum or any Bitcoin is the same as any other Bitcoin. Um, but at dot conf, we were issuing uh, some non-fungible butter. Like we had buttercup bucks, which are fungible. 
Um, you can use those to buy things at the swag store, for example, or donate to charity. And we have non-fungible tokens. So like, for example, you were one of the first 500 people in a keynote, you could scan this poker chip and you earned a non-fungible token that proved that you were an attendee at one of the first 500 at okay. .com. Okay. Um, whenever anybody went to registration, they were able to get a non-fungible token that they attended .com. So it was kind of like achievement unlocking in, yeah. you know, a game system. I was trying to find These can be token. used for education too. So you can certify that someone has passed a course, mm-hmm. for example. Okay. Gotcha. So I just passed, you know, it was Splunk, uh, you know, a SEC one or, you know, some certification test and that mark of having done that could exist on this blockchain. Mm-hmm. And you can prove to people that you have taken the courses. Um, in fact, you can even, if you think about that zero knowledge stuff, eventually you'll be able to, to prove that you have a certain knowledge level without revealing like how you even got it. Okay. So okay. is that one fungible because it's like my specific thing and it's unique or does it's that make it not? To you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like you having passed this gate is the unique part. Me, so me having you passed the same gate would be different. So let me yeah, come up no. with a stupid way to remember the difference. Things are more fungible when they're specific to you. Mm, Keep working on that. No. I don't, I don't know non-fungible. So no, you're, that's non-fungible? you're non-fungible because there's only one birch out there. Oh. <laughs> I mean, there could be, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no birch <laughs> is created so equal. That's what I mean. So you don't, you don't know about my clone army. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Okay, okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so what were the outcomes? Oh, and definitely talk about the um, the kind of Splunk for Good aspect as well. Yeah. So, um, one of the pieces of engagement we wanted to raise money for various charities out there, and so we allowed people to donate these um, Buttercup bucks to various charities. And uh, I, I know that Jason Hopka did a great job covering this in, uh, in a recent. Uh, That's podcast. right. We did talk about it there but, too. But we're, we're, our team is working now that generate, anyway, um, that happened as a result of interest. That, that project, yeah. that project, so, right. Okay. It's, yeah, that's a good point. So as we all that project, we had a lot of, um, some of the biggest companies in the world reached out to us because they have things going on, um, that they're not allowed to talk about yet. And then also we had various charities reach out and some nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're, we're doing some pretty neat stuff that you're going to see, I don't, I won't reveal timing and stuff, but uh, we're doing some pretty neat stuff that came out of that that we just totally didn't expect. Um, right. So you, it was pretty uh, cool success. I, I, there's like, there's like irony or something to the fact that um, we're doing some really cool stuff and you're going to have to just trust me that it will happen <laughs> or, and like, sure, I'll trust you. You're, you're filling the trust gap. Yeah. And so Um, what's interesting is the things we're doing now, some of it's being recorded on Ledger right now. So not only you, am I saying, trust me, but you'll be able to mm -hmm. verify later that we, that I wasn't just uh, blowing smoke. Like we're working on it now and you'll be able to see, see. Um, Yeah. And so that someone's, you said something about cloud. This is kind of a big deal, closing the trust gap. Right now we're required to trust cloud providers. Like Mm -hmm. then you send your data into Splunk cloud and you just trust that Splunk's a good steward of that data. It should be trust, but verify. And so this is some of the technology we're developing such that data that goes inside of Splunk, you can verify that the data that's in a Splunk instance has not been corrupted, tampered, lost, deleted in any way. But you wouldn't do that on a per event basis, would you? That that seems like that wouldn't scale. Well, it, de- it depends on where you want to do the hashing. You could do it on a per field level. If you 
uh, had the right amount of computing power and so on, if you okay, wanted okay. to expend, expend that cost. Um, this is something you could do with data stream processor. You could add a function in there to do a hash of, of fields even. Okay. And then you can hash the hashes, which is what we're doing right now. So we've, we, we hash every 128 kilobytes in Splunk, and then we create a level two hash of every, every time a bucket rolls of all those level one hashes. And so then we just okay. store that level two hash on a blockchain. And now we can prove since that hash was written, everything in this bucket is good to go. Okay. So that kind of actually answers what I was thinking in my head is that you needed to have a way to scale it, you know, based on the use case. So in this case, yeah. a level two hash would serve that. Yeah, at least yeah. for at have, least down to the granularity of that bucket. Oh, okay. Because the frequency of needing to do that calculation is sustainable. Well, one of the reasons we hash the hashes is it's expensive to write to blockchains, mm-hmm. right? And so we want to reduce the amount of writes. Yeah. Um, so, right. Yeah. But there's a cool, this is actually causes a cool side effect because people want to write data to, they want the immutability aspect of, that a blockchain provides. So supply chains want to do things like write temperature data of the milk truck, even to prove that the data, the temperature of the milk truck didn't go over uh, a certain temperature. Otherwise mm-hmm. a smart contract can execute and you get some of your money back because the milk spoiled. Um, but it's really expensive to write all that sensor data. So why not write that data to Splunk, which is where you want to analyze it anyway. And then Splunk can write the hash to a blockchain to be, uh, allow you to prove that the data hasn't been modified. So you reduce the amount of writes to the blockchain by many orders of magnitude. In fact, you determine how often you want to write to the blockchain. You, you got my mind into a perpetual motion machine where every time you write the hash, you Splunk that activity and what that hash is. And now you're splunking hashes of hashes I, I think of hashes. you've yeah i think you've broken something <laughs> yeah yeah um so when my daughter was born for example um i i obviously like everybody does i splunked all of her information her latitude yeah. her longitude her birth parents, everyone who, who uh, listens to this podcast anyway but yes yeah. <laughs> and then splunk uh wrote that a hash a salted hash with some extra metadata to ethereum mainnet and so now I can store, I can have this copy of this raw data. I don't even have to store it in Splunk anymore, um, but I can compute a SHA-256 of this and compare it to what's on Ethereum mainnet and prove that I was the first one to record this information. It existed at this point in time. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And so now my daughter is the new kid on the blockchain. So you've said mainnet oh. a couple <laughs> you said the main net. Go ahead, Birch. Uh, while, while he's dishing out, uh, clever jokes, didn't you, uh, I gotta give Lenny Stein credit for that one. Oh, okay. Uh, didn't you, um, didn't you have like a Twitter handle or, or something that was like data geeks, data physicist, data physicist. And yeah, that's my, Twitter. Uh, yeah. and I tell you this so many times that, uh, every time I, hear that all i hear is d-a-t-e space oh. uh, space <laughs> and i'm like what a data what, physicist <laughs> what a what a uh leading innovator in the space of uh <laughs> online dating <laughs> so um i want to get I want to go back to and you um, can make that you can make uncensorable things too so you brought up twitter there there's uh right now there's tweets that are censored taken off take put on but we're using uh distributed ledger technology you can make everything permanent and never be removed so there's a project called feedwave that's uh 
uh, feed web. Anyway, it's built on this Rweave technology, which is like a perma web. So you can store things permanently. So if you go to mccurvy.com right now, my website, um, it actually is on the Rweave. It's a perma web. So there's that data will exist forever. There's never going to be a 404 um, of that data uh, anymore. Wow. So I just got a 400 though. Just saying. <laughs> I probably, I probably typed M- it wrong. Don't yeah, worry. M-C-K-E-R-V-E-Y.com. <laughs> I'm not going to do oh, it is. while we're... <laughs> so I got to... <laughs> uh, I'll fix that. But yep. they... So, now he's going to yeah, be distracted so, for the rest of the time. Yep. <laughs> so, so go to HTTP. Try HTTPS. I yeah. got to fix the HTTP. You got a, you got a proxy um, problem there, a redirect. Yes. So I got it next. My next thing is to set up a decentralized DNS record. So that's my problem right now is I'm not using a decentralized DNS record. Uh, so, um, what, uh, there are two things, choose your own adventure here. Before you joined, we were actually talking about the new, um, dashboards beta. I know that that played a role in buttercup bucks. Um, so I'd love to hear your perspective on that. I'd also still like to hear about the different roles that you had at Splunk. I mean, you told us about coming out of school, becoming a sysadmin, playing with Splunk, but you've had held a, a number of different roles here. Yeah. Um, so, all right. We'll just go in order. You went in, unless Hal has something. Go for it. No. Connect for <laughs> dashboards. <clears throat> dashboards. Yeah. The new this new dashboarding framework is is something that uh, I've dreamed about forever. Stephen Ludke has dreamed about forever. If you, you should have Stephen on the show sometime because he is the dashboard guru. He makes mm-hmm. the most amazing I actually, dashboards. The two of you seem to go everywhere together. I just assumed he would. <laughs> yeah. He would saddle up next to you. I, I expect him yeah. to, you know, kind of poke his yeah. head up all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it allows you to do pixel perfect visualizations. And um, we, we use this heavily at a recent conference, uh, uh, ETH Denver conference, uh, Ethereum uh, conference, where we open source Splunk Connect for Ethereum. And then we allowed people to uh, analyze data and, and, just do things with it. So definitely check out our blog on and see the different things people created using uh, this new dashboarding framework. Um, yeah, but it, it's it's pretty awesome. Uh, any questions there before I? Move well, on what to what my... I, I guess like feature feature wise, like why why is it a game changer? Why is it more than an incremental improvement in your mind uh, mm-hmm. over? Uh, the existing why why is it disruptive or worth looking into so there used to be the saying splunk no limits i don't know if you get anybody remembers that and that that's been the case from like data ingestion size multiple petabytes per data per day um but from the visualization side there have been some some limits um but now it's your limit is your imagination like you can you will be able to put anything anywhere and do anything. So for example, some of the stuff that uh, we have built that we haven't shown yet for a nonprofit is we turned their website that is like a giant infographic into a live dashboard, but it's a lot, it's like a live infographic where you can put any art anywhere. And it's just your imagination is now the limit. Oh, wow. So instead of being confined to like the rows and panels that we have today in Splunk, Exactly. And maybe this, some form drop downs. Mm-hmm. This this is a this is a great analogy. <clears throat> uh, traditional data analysis systems are conformed to rows and columns. It's schema at right. And Splunk was the paradigm shift that did schema at read. And so that's what the dashboarding framework is. We used to have to do um, rows and panels and visualization, and now it's whatever you want. 
And it can be, part, yeah, and it can sustain that way. Okay, cool. All right, so tell us about there, I still That doesn't mean I don't have enhancement requests and feature requests. <laughs> you wouldn't be you if, if you didn't. Wouldn't be you if you didn't. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, tell, tell us, uh, what was your first gig here at Splunk when you joined? So my first gig was professional services. I was our first um, highly cleared individual to, uh, so I did a lot of our um, government deployments, which was pretty fun, learned a lot, and uh, a lot of non-government too. Um, it, there were only 355 people at Splunk uh, when I started. And so I'd say one of the best things I learned in professional services was actually how different businesses operate, the successful ones and the non-successful ones, mm-hmm. um, and how, how important culture is, because that was the big thing that I think actually made companies successful, not successful, which Splunk included. We, we have a great culture, and I think that's one of the main reasons um, Splunk has had the what success. You, what do you had. mean by, like, what, what uh, so you're saying... I, I happen you, to agree violently that with this, but, but how do you make it into something, how do you translate that? Because some people think about like proficiency, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an expert in this thing and that's all you need, but I, I don't believe that that's all you need at all. Yeah. You, you read the book. Um, you are what you do by Ben Horowitz. Okay. It is awesome. And it talks, it's pretty much a book on culture. And then yeah, another good one is, yeah. is the, the trillion dollar coach um, about Bill Campbell. And if you read those two back to back, you'll actually see how they feed one another. It doesn't matter which order you read them. So when you, you're saying you observed these patterns where um, some companies were successful and others weren't. And, and so you're saying culture was one of the biggest uh, patterns there. Mm-hmm. Any, any other notable things? On the East and the West coast were very different. <laughs> I oh, yeah. did gigs on both. And, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is, is there, but is they there can one be successful even. I, I was about to actually, actually ask that. It's like, yeah. I live on the East coast. A lot of my coworkers are on the West coast. There's a lot of style differences in how we engage and, you know, solve and hours problems. of operations. Oh, sure. Yeah. But you have successful companies on both coasts. Yep. Yep. What, uh, uh, okay. Uh, can you can you be more specific, or are you afraid like what, of like what's a successful and, pattern that you've seen, or or just the pattern between East and West? Like, is I, I know East has more financial services, and that's a little more like rigid and old school. West, um, I often associate with like Silicon Valley and a lot more like new new culture where things can be more relaxed or or improvised and still be extremely effective. Is it something like that, or? Or am I missing the mark on, on what you saw? I mean, that word oh. relaxed is, is one I would key off of. And I think people are more direct in their conversational style as well on the East Coast. Yeah. So what I'm trying to say is um, you, the, 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 to have a successful culture is not based on whether you work specific hours a day or whether you dress a certain way. Because we have successful companies on, on, on both ends. What's more important is um, things like trust. Do you work in an environment where you can trust the person above you? Um, mm. it, it, willingness to talk openly. So that means also giving bad feedback, but mm-hmm. you know, criticize in uh, private and uh, commend in public. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've definitely encountered uh, companies at either ends of the spectrum i'll just say like and i don't want to get too specific (laughs) name dropping companies so what what happened after her after professional services so professional services i i uh i accepted the job at splunk two days before i got married 
And then professional services, my first year, I was on the road 300 days. I was home 56 and I splunked it. (laughs) I didn't have it on a blockchain though, so I can't prove it. Um, (laughs) And so I wanted something that- I feel like uh, your spouse can prove it. So I wanted something that uh, didn't make, didn't, wasn't traveling so much. And I always loved playing with the the newest versions of our software before it was out and just seeing what was coming next. And um, I liked telling people about it. And it turns out there's this role designed for that. It's called technical marketing. You, You get to play with the latest tech and then you get to tell analysts about it and you get to tell the community about it. Um, and so I, I, uh, Got we got up and we moved to San Francisco um, from Florida, and I did technical marketing and uh, the best best role I've ever had, the most fun I've ever had until I got into the blockchain space. Nice. So technical marketing, you are neither a marketeer nor an engineer. It is everyone's a marketeer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's about communicating stories, right? And I think that's why um, I, I think you've been all, you had been very successful in that. And, and that's where, that's kind of where I think I met you was when you were in that role. So I, I seem to think that, it, it, you know, if you're a good storyteller, a good teacher, you know, that's, that's how you kind of bring passion to other people and help them. You know, it's, it's a, it's a method, it's a teaching technique, but it's, you know, it's to help people understand and bring on, on the same page. So super valuable skill. Um, what was one of your favorite projects when you were in technical marketing? Mm, oh man, I've got so many. Um, uh, I mean, so many from the, so how the Indianapolis fight. <laughs> how about a flop? <laughs> oh, a flop. Um, I do not understand that reference. No, like something that anything just didn't, didn't work, work out. out. Yeah. Oh, like flop. You were flop. Like, man, I was really excited. I thought this was going to, Oh yeah. So, (laughs) um, we, we, uh, I can't remember what we were going to do, but we were going to do something. And if the crowd, uh, at a conference at a a dot conf, and if, uh, if the crowd had achieved a certain metric, we were going to dunk executives for each metric they achieved. So we rented a, a dunk tank, uh, and brought it to, our old office in uh, Cupertino and tried to get each of the executives to, uh, to, to get a video recording of them uh, dunking. And surprisingly, they were all <laughs> like open to it and did it. And it was cold out. <laughs> okay. So you pre, like pre-recorded it. We, we pre-recorded. The you would play it. Yeah. So do you want to see uh, so-and-so oh, executive get dunked? Okay. okay gotcha. Um, but so we got these videos, we recorded it and then we, we did, we couldn't pull it off, um, uh, uh, to get into on stage. So, so that was one. Oh, another one. Um, I don't know if anyone remembers executives bummed because they're like, what? I got dunked in the cold. I think some were bummed and some were relieved. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Another, another one was, I don't know if anyone remembers the year we did the shake demo. I remember that very Um, well. And we, uh, people were shaking their phone and if they generated enough, uh, shaking, we had a custom alert action, which was a new technology as well as HTTP event collector. Yeah. You'd fire a t-shirt gun, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, Well, we fired a, uh, uh, can, uh, yeah, that fired stuffed buttercup ponies. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then there was another one they could do that also fired a Hadoop because we were not really, really stuffed for hunk or maybe we released hunk. No, really stuffed for, for hunk. Anyway, uh, 
Well, the whole skit that we had devised was actually built around this uh, uh, Silicon Valley, um, this mm -hmm. episode of Silicon Valley, um, the, the D2F, I think it was called scenario. And we looked into getting Guilfoyle and Dinesh actually act out on stage part of the keynote, yeah. but it got, it got kind of uh, PG 13 or more. So we, we had to, to not do it, uh, but, <laughs> oh, wow. but now you can actually, if you go and rewatch that keynote, thinking about Silicon Valley as being our inspiration, you'll actually see it in a whole new light. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Oh, yeah. I don't cool. think I was, I wasn't watching the show. Like I'd seen a, several episodes, whatever. Um, so I wouldn't have gotten that reference back then. So I'll have to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So you watch season one and the, a, a lot of it was based off of the season finale of the episode or season episode season finale. So by the way, everyone listening, everything in that television show is true. Like it, it's, it's Isn't it crazy that Splunk is in one of the episodes, right? At least one. Yeah. And isn't it kind of crazy? Yeah. It's kind of crazy. Like files computer when they're uh, working from the house in the background. What were you saying, Birch? I mean, uh, Nate. Oh, and it's also, it, like you said, everything's true. Like, you know, now the new latest seasons are around blockchain in this distributed <laughs> data store. <laughs> no, I mean, it was an excellent commentary on the tech culture in the Bay Area. Like, they did a really good yeah. job at it. Yeah. So, um, so that, that brings us to, uh, to where you're at with, with blockchain and... Uh, can you tell us about the coming back to the dashboard thing? The how did you and um, oh, I I left out a key part yeah. of the when we told marketing we'll do it, but we have to show what Splunk does in the blockchain space. So yeah, Splunk is not building blockchain blockchains. Um, there are enough of those out there, um, <laughs> and we're not in that business. We're not running blockchains either. What we're doing is we're uh, enabling customers who are adopting the technology to be successful. And so the low hanging fruit here is observability of distributed ledger technology. So this is not only the ledger itself, being able to analyze the data on ledger, it's the infrastructure behind it. So if you have any service that's running any blockchain application, even buttercup bucks behind the scenes, there's content delivery networks, there's Lambda functions, there's applications like a web app. And if a transaction is failing or it's slow, it might not be the blockchain's fault. It could be any other component. And so we give complete observability into uh, all of the infrastructure, the ledger, the node, and the infrastructure. Oh, wow. So is there, you know, is there something concrete or was this all custom developed or are there apps and integrations that we should know about? Mm -hmm. So in the, for, for uh, Buttercup Bucks, we used a public blockchain sidechain of Ethereum called XDAI because it has transactions complete in five seconds, but we splunked all of it. So we gave some of the node operators a curl command where it installed a Splunk forwarder and started collecting uh, logs and metrics and sending them to a Splunk instance. We were using Splunk app for AWS to monitor um, our infrastructure in AWS. Um, and we were using the, uh, the, before it was released version of Splunk Connect for Ethereum to analyze the ledger data. Uh, and it makes it, Splunk does a good job of making the data more human readable. If you ever look at an Ethereum transaction, it is total machine data. It's like complete hex. Uh, and Splunk actually does really neat things like where we do this thing called ABI decoding. There's an application binary interface. So you just get this 
binary blob and Splunk will automatically decode that. So all the uh, messages people were sending in Buttercup Bucks transactions, we automatically translate that to human readable text. Um, and this is, this is kind of like challenging without something like Splunk. That, yeah. So, so did your team produce the, the app and host the, the, um, the blockchain technology and like you, you so we didn't host the blockchain technology. So we, we manage everything else. So, uh, Siegfried Puchbauer wrote the web app, Stephen Ludke built all the dashboards and Ryan Moore did all the deployment and integration. Wow. And I took the credit. (laughs) (laughs) So talking about the infrastructure and and you mentioned that, that nodes run, um, a a curl script. Ben Derringer, project managed and kept us in line. Nice. Call yes, that he is, he yeah. is vital. And did a ton sure. of awesome stuff at the event. Like he got us tens of thousands of wooden poker chips and everything with QR codes on them. person. Yeah. So the, the infrastructure, was this something that, I mean, did, did you have a series of servers that were required to do the processing of every transaction of, of buttercup bucks or did that happen separately throughout? Yeah. This is one of the nice things about these public permissionless blockchains is people can operate nodes and they're incentivized to operate them and process the transactions because they get rewarded oh, yeah. for doing so. Okay. Tell me more about that. Double click. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. you um, can't say that double. <sighs> okay, fine. Right click, select okay. open. Oh, just never mind. Just never mind. <laughs> yeah. So, most public public permissionless blockchains have incentive mechanisms for um, people that are doing validation of transactions, validator nodes. But there are the alternative also exists in a lot of permissioned blockchain deployments. There isn't an incentive of a reward; it's just your job to do it. So these are a lot of hyperledger fabric deployments. There isn't even a token today in hyperledger fabric. Um, but like for example, with, uh, with Bitcoin, we're all yeah. hyperledger fabric. <laughs> Great music. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so like Bitcoin and Ethereum today are, are based on proof of work. So the security relies in crunching these numbers and coming up with this uh, number that has a bunch of preceding zeros. And if you're the winner, then you get a reward paid out in Ethereum or, or Bitcoin. Um, and it also, one day there's you're not going to mine any more Bitcoin. I can't remember what year it is. It's a long way away from now. Um, but uh, you'll still be able to earn value from processing transactions. Um, and then Ethereum's moving to proof of stake. Um, so it's a little bit different than proof of work, but there's just these different incentive mechanisms for uh, validating transactions. Okay. Hmm. So your incentive to participate in the network powers the network. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is that a part of, so you had to incentive. Okay. So what was the incentive for anyone? We to- didn't. In- run buttercup bucks um so there the, there is this set of node operators that run x die and get rewarded in in die die is um equivalent to us dollar mm-hmm. one die equals one dollar uh and so they process the transactions and they get rewarded and so we just said hey we'll go use we'll go use that network it's public anybody can use it mm-hmm. it's like a, a public database gotcha huh. um 
So, so someone tweeted, yeah. uh, uh, I think a Bitcoin maximalist tweeted, this looks like a great use case for a centralized data repository. You shouldn't have used. <laughs> and and I was like, well, if we use a centralized data repository, then there's a single source uh, of compromise. Um, also, we have to put our efforts into keeping that database up and running. It's subject to denial of service attacks. We have to patch the security issues. So it's actually more work in that case for us to have used a centralized data repository and less and less secure. You kind of use those three principles to make your argument, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what what they said, this is a great use case for. Now, don't get me wrong. I said in the beginning, most use cases don't need uh, a blockchain or distributed ledger. In fact, we could have done Buttercup Bucks in a central data repository uh, that we managed and we would own. But in, in this case, not only do we not have to manage any of that, also the users own their own uh, tokens and keys. And so mm-hmm. they still have them today. They could go to another event. Maybe it's a Splunk Live, maybe it's a, a Cisco user group, or I don't know. And they could actually send people their buttercup bucks hmm. or prove that they were there. They own them. I think in the the event, the uh, recording we had with uh, uh, Jason, Jason, we uh, want someone, someone actually logged into the app and sent the remainder of their Buttercup box. Over. I'd have to find my shortcut. I've got it somewhere. Yeah. Hey, um, we're coming up on time here, but I can't help but um, pick out some of the things behind you that have been a theme in our in our podcast. So, uh, is that a Fez? That is a Fez. He yes. is one of the legacy holders of of the Fezes. Did you? Did you? Were you Fezed pre or post your employment at Splunk? Post. Ooh. I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Nate, uh, this is what uh, I might call the friend of Rachel era. Uh, I don't know exactly when I got it. Okay. Mine yeah. was. Mine was a friend, the friend of Rachel era. So it's before okay. some of the, the formality of, of that. So, you know, it was, it was sort of uh, uh, honorary, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And then um, next to that, uh, on our right, is one of the very ponies. That uh, this uh, one's special. This one's very special. special. Yes. But before you show because. us what's special about it, before okay. you show us, yes. So that that pony, in the non-special form, is is what you are referring to being launched out of the the air cannon at uh, in one of the flops. Yes. Okay. Yeah, we launched a bunch of these. Uh, yeah. In the audience. Um, and now this one has a cape. Ooh. How'd you get that done? <laughs> Simultaneously. Well, uh, I believe it was, I know it was a Splunk Trust member. I believe it was Rich. Um, I think his fam. I think his family made these capes. His family attended. And they had their own capes. That's yes, right. they did. I remember that very well because they hung out in the Gamer Lounge with me a lot. Yeah. Do we still do that, the Gamer Lounge? Yes. I like yeah, okay. I, so. I don't know. Take, when it, I was take in different forms. When I was a customer, I remember being really conflicted because I was like, I want to play video games, but I also really want to go to like every talk. Yeah. Well, it's... It, Do you want, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah that's yeah, a good keep story. Keep it going. Got more stuff on our shelf. So this is uh, um, uh, Pete... Pete uh, and I'm saying it wrong. Schmidt Peterson Racing Team um, and the Arrow... They, Arrow was a big sponsor. And so they uh, asked Splunk if we could uh, 
help do some data analytics and see if we could help get one of their cars in the in the top 10 for the Indy 500. And so we started splunking the data and I can't tell you like specifics, but it was some pretty cool stuff that they would ask us if we could determine something at something point in the time so they could optimize their car. Wow. And so um, we, we did a bunch of that and uh, they had three cars and they wanted to get one in the top 10 and they got all three in the top 10. Wow. Thank you. In, in, including, uh, uh, pole position, which they said is the next best thing to winning the Indy 500. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So it was pretty awesome. And the, again, that was Steven that did a lot of that splunking. What else you got over there? I, I think I see a, uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, this, oh, there goes, there goes my Fez. So this is an award I got for uh, technical services person of the year, 2013. So that was for the 300 days on the road. You get, I got one yeah. of those. <laughs> um, and then these are the poker chips I was talking about. Oh yeah. For, yeah. So you, if somebody scans this, mm-hmm. <laughs> this is going to be fun. So the first person <laughs> to scan, yeah. the, first person. So the first person to scan this is going to probably redeem oh, awesome. some, uh, <laughs> okay, have to use the, uh, our app, right? From no, they just use their, their camera on their phone and it'll do oh. everything for them. Yeah. Wow. And then there were, we had different poker chips for different circumstances. So these black ones are worth like five buttercup bucks and, um, you could get them doing various things, but these gold ones, these are not made out of wood. They're a little special. They may be Ooh. real gold. You'll have to find one. Uh, <laughs> uh, these were given to execs. So if you had a good conversation with an executive or um, if you were helping a couple of the community, for example, the executives mm-hmm. were giving out a, a few of these, each executive oh, that's neat. a few of these. Wow. And so these are worth a hundred buttercup bucks. Oh. And you'll also, and so like if you scan this one, uh, it's going to be a lie. It's going to give you an NFT that says you met a, uh, a Splunk executive. Mm-hmm. And so this is something important to point out. Um, a blockchain closes the trust gap, but it's the garbage in garbage out is still true. So if you put bad data on a blockchain, it doesn't make it true. It mm-hmm. still can be bad data on a blockchain. It's, it's so, just validated that the we know this in. bad data was written at this time and date yeah. by this unique identifier. Exactly. Yep. What now you, you can put a lot of precautions in, like you can have people uh, sign transactions with their digital signature to vouch that they agree. Uh, so, and then the backup. Yeah. Anyway. What, so, what's that last uh, trophy over there? Oh, that is uh, last year our team uh, participated in the East Denver Hackathon. Oh, okay. uh, and, and That's we neat. won, um, and we won. So we won the open track and the wow award. And these were 3d printed at the event, which was kind of nice. Oh, very cool. Uh, and so then very this cool. year we decided not to hack, but to sponsor and to give back. Not very neat. We really wanted to hack. <laughs> <laughs> Got that itch. Um, so this might have been the episode for which <laughs> requires the most focus and thinking. Uh, because blockchain being such a new technology, I think most people uh, need, like, I I know for me, I was like, oh God, I gotta, gotta focus every word he's saying. (laughs) Whereas most of the time it's all silly jokes. You've been deep in it, Nate. Yeah. Yeah. I've been deep in it. Yeah. I I remember the days when I decided, yeah, when I started doing this, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much. And I still feel that way. There's, there's, there's so much going on. This, this, uh, 
industry is moving so, so fast. And it's the, it's a combination of so many different uh, fields. It's, it's, it's not just cryptography and computer science. It's also, it's also governance, game theory, and economics. They're all merging and, and we're getting talents from all these different spaces to come together. It's, I've, I've well, learned so fact, much about all these things. Even the fact that you said financial services and public sectors, a uh, public sector is like leading the charge is jaw dropping to me. Cause I feel like historically those two industries are the laggards. Like they well, have financial the services with trust. Yeah. Financial services knows they're going to be completely disrupted if they, they don't do this. Mm, um, and their incentive. Yeah. Yeah. And then public sector that just has a bunch of benefits. Uh, I mean, like look at the work that health and human services is doing. Shout out to Jose, Arietta and Oki. Um, they're really pushing things forward to make the, to make government organizations more efficient to start with. Um, mm -hmm. and just, it's, it's awesome. This is going to free up a lot of government inefficiency. So there's, and there's also security benefits too. So there's a lot of motivation for public yeah. sector to, um, invest in this technology. And we want to help them. I mean, Splunk is in this such a unique position because ever, there's all these different companies that are trying to do this in a box and not let their competitors know or, or building a consortium and trying to keep some stuff secret. Um, but we at Splunk are actually seeing what all the different companies are doing and we can help them be successful because we've seen what other successful deployments look like. Wow. So we're, we're right up on, on time here. Um, Hal, any final thoughts? I was just going to thank Nate for, for joining us. And uh, I, I think what you're doing is really amazingly interesting. So keep it up. And whenever you have more stuff to share that you can't tell us about right now, <laughs> let us know. Yeah, I, okay. I feel like Nate by, might be one of the uh, the first uh, repeat uh, yep. guests that we have <laughs> because there's so much changing and, and so much to be developed. Uh, so thank you. Thanks for, for educating us and telling us about yourself and uh, making it so that you have to clean up your room again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we messed up his back wall, didn't we? Oh, well. yes. yes. All right. Thanks a lot, Nate. We appreciate your time. Thank you all. Talk to Thanks. You later. Bye.